0: Hey Stardust friends, welcome back to another episode of
1: The Spiritual Gaze.
0: I'm one of your hosts, Angel.
1: And I'm your other host, Brandon. And this is our twice monthly podcast dedicated to exploring the wide reaches of spirituality without pretending that it all makes sense.
0: No, because it doesn't. And that's just facts.
1: Or it does, and there's no way our little human brains can comprehend it. It's like looking at a puzzle, and you can only see a couple of the pieces, and mm-hmm. you're trying to make sense of the whole. But those pieces don't even interlock.
0: Yeah, because they're pieces from a variety of puzzles.
1: Oh, from different puzzles. hmm Like a Golden Girls puzzle.
0: hmm Like a Lilo and Stitch puzzle. Oh, <laughs> well, that's very specific.
1: Also, I would like to say that Stardust, Friends, is very specific.
0: It's nice, right? Yeah, because well, we're all friends from the same stardust spot of stardust.
1: It's like an animated series I'd like to watch. Mm. It's like what the Care Bears become. They become stardust friends.
0: <laughs> Honey, they already are. Well, they live on clouds.
1: Oh, they! Do. it's been a long time. They
0: drive clouds.
1: I used to have so many of those Care Bear stuffed animals and then they were up in the attic and then rats got to them and they all got <laughs> okay, thrown
0: away. took a dark turn. Well, it's Scorpio season. <laughs> oh, Jesus. It's just Care Bears being dragged away by r- evil rats.
1: Speaking of evil rats, we did watch The Witches, the original with Angelica Houston this yes. past
0: week. That was fun.
1: That was a lot of fun. If you've never seen it, I highly recommend. Angelica Houston's performance is legendary
0: yeah it's a wild ass movie yeah. not for children i would say definitely not for children
1: but like if you have a child that's like 13 or up they could probably handle it yeah yeah
0: though uh, who knows kids these days
1: yeah totally like a nine-year-old like meh yeah they're more sophisticated than we are <laughs> literally they're like witches are real and death visits us all <laughs> and you're like okay little existential nine-year-old nihilistic nine-year-old yeah Uh, Should we introduce ourselves more thoroughly?
0: Yes, please, you first.
1: Ah, yes. Uh, Okay, so I'm Brandon. I am a tarot reader and a tarot teacher. I'm a healer, a queeler by trade. Um, I'm a writer and a performer sometimes, a wannabe gardener. This year, I've definitely been a cook.
0: I was going to say, a chef, if you will,
1: a nail technician. Oh, yes. I just did an Angel's Nails earlier today. They're gorgeous. They're black with
0: 23-karat gold flake. hmm inspired by the song Black and Gold. Who are you, honey? I'm Angel Lopez. I am a writer and a film producer and an astrologer and a queeler. Queeler! Queerdo. Yes, a queer healer out here for the people. I'm also a teacher. Mm, it's true. And a lover.
1: That's true.
0: It's a love-all.
1: And a spiritual warrior. I am a spiritual warrior. We're all spiritual warriors these days.
0: I was going to say, anyone who's listening to this is probably a spiritual warrior, so welcome.
1: Welcome to the warriorship ring.
0: Yes. We should also
1: just say, like, we're recording this on the Sunday before the election.
0: Yeah, so this is going to come out after the U.S. election results. Well, who knows, actually. I think it's going to be, like... A slightly drawn out process, but um, because the retrogrades, but we'll probably have a sense of who the winner should be or will be ultimately. Um, But we don't know that as of now, so we won't really be addressing politics. So consider this your step away from all of the (laughs) political news that is probably going on at the moment. This release,
1: yeah, and we don't do too much predictive astrology, but we do think because Mars is retrograde until November 13th that that's probably when the votes will be all sorted out. Yeah, 14th, 13th, 14th, potato, (laughs) potato, (laughs) tomato, tomato. Who knows? Maybe here in
0: the Pacific, we do feel like it's gonna be a little drawn out. I mean, Mercury's also retrograde until direct on the day of the election, so. It's so, going to be
1: a little funky. Yeah, it's going to be a shit show regardless. So t- step away from the shit show and come into the cool, dark waters of this Scorpio season podcast.
0: And join us for a soothing conversation about death. Death. Yeah. This was actually a
1: request from one of our favorite gazers, Seamstress Dreamstress, Taylor Shirley, asked us, Scorpio legend, to do an episode about death. <laughs> and we really kind of jumped at the opportunity or especially I jumped at the opportunity because I think that we are in deep need of a healing around our relationship with death. And so this deep dive that we'll head into later in the show is really our opportunity to reclaim right relationship with death and to try to unmask some of the fear and understand death as a healer and as an ally. And so hopefully you'll join us for that. And you won't run away.
0: Yeah, I'm ready for it. Good. Yeah.
1: That makes me happy to hear. But before all of that, let's just check in like little school children. How you?
0: (laughs) Like little school children. Like little school children. I don't know. Do they check in?
1: Yeah. They like, they like, you know, like when you were a kid in school and they like, everyone had like check in, like they took role, you know?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. I guess we already took role.
1: So I guess now we're just, it's like (laughs) show and tell.
0: Right, exactly. What
1: did you bring to show and tell today?
0: I brought a little truck. Oh, okay. That I got for my birthday. Cute. Is it hot pink? No. Oh, okay. I was not that progressive as a child. Hmm. I think I brought a lot of like my records to show and tell.
1: That's pretty progressive, especially because they were probably like Madonna and Gloria oh, Stefan. For sure, I so know for a fact I
0: brought pretty like, progressive my Whitney Houston Whitney album to class as for show and tell, and then the teacher let us play it at recess, and it was fabulous. Just listening to "You Give Good Love" at age, you know, in second grade, I was
1: really into those troll dolls, so I would bring like those troll dolls.
0: Yeah. And would you like make them perform like a scene from Fiddler on the Roof?
1: Okay. No, <laughs> they would not perform a scene from Fiddler on the Roof. I don't think the trolls were Jewish. Maybe they were. Maybe they loved
0: that musical. I just know you did. That's true. But not until
1: I was much older <laughs> oh. did I love Fiddler on the Roof. I think the first musical I really loved was Gypsy.
0: Oh, so you would have the trolls perform a scene from Gypsy?
1: Always. The one where Gypsy Rosalie is stripping. <laughs> That's a scene I performed a lot. (laughs) Gotta have a gimmick. (laughs) No, let me entertain you. No,
0: I know. But it's just funny to think of strippers or trolls as like strippers from Chipsy.
1: I have a very vivid memory of like inviting my friend Derek over when I was easily under 10 years old Mm -hmm. and like performing a striptease with like socks on my arms as if they were like long gloves, like standing on an ottoman, like taking them off to that song. And if that's not the gayest thing you've ever heard, then kudos to you. But I wouldn't take off anything else. I
0: would just take off the gloves. (laughs) I took great pause with that story. No, it's not like I would like take him into my room. Like like, this isn't like the living room.
1: Like stand on the black leather ottoman and just like take these gloves off my arms. Well, they were socks, but I pretended they were gloves and I would swing them over my head i really had no idea what that she was like a stripper at that age i was just like oh she's like doing an erotic dance i mean i don't even know what i thought she was doing
0: <laughs> i was gonna say that's what you love
1: <laughs> i know but you know what else is making me think of oh scorpio season you're so nostalgic so mm. when i would bring those trolls to school for show and tell and oh. i'm aware that i've completely hijacked your check-in
0: oh no this is fascinating
1: uh I oh, no. had convinced all of my second grade classmates that I was a troll, that like I had come from like a troll planet. What? And that I was actually like in disguise and that I had like a uh, like a radio in my desk that like would allow me to communicate to the like troll planet. And if that's not the most Aquarius thing you've ever heard then <laughs> kudos.
0: And your teacher was just, like, cool with you just going with that? I don't
1: know if my teacher was ever in on it. I think it was just, like, me and, and my classmates. And I don't know if they believed it or they just, like, let me believe they believed it.
0: Regardless, I love that you were already, like, playing a role at that point in your life. Yeah. Or or was I? Honey, I've been with you for 10 years. If you were a <laughs> troll from a troll planet, I would know by now. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I'm a sleeper
1: troll and I'm going to wake up one day and remember what I'm here to do.
0: You do get rather poofy hair that stands up uncontrollably at times. That is
1: true. And so. I have gemstones for
0: eyes. Yes. And you walk around the house naked. <laughs> See, I'm a troll from a wow. troll planet. Oh my God. You are a troll. I had no idea. Where's your radio? Uh,
1: It's in Noche. Noche.
0: Okay, don't drag me into this <laughs> troll story you've crafted.
1: All right, please, I apologize. Check in. What's going on with you these days?
0: Uh, what is going on with me these days? Well, I haven't been feeling that hot the last couple of days, and But it's I, not
1: the coves, everybody. Don't worry. I don't worry.
0: believe so. You know, I believe I'm just uh, battling some sinus issues and more so, I think, just like feeling exhausted. Yeah, a little rundown? Yeah, I think so. I think my body's just kind of like, whoa, yo, chill it. This Mars retrograde has really whooped my butt. And I think we just had the Taurus full moon as well. It's like all of this action is happening in my 12th house. For those of you who don't speak astrology, that's like the house of like spirituality and dreams and just kind of all things esoteric. And it's really the unconscious as well. And I do feel on some level like I'm just kind of dealing with a lot of like unconscious energies. And I do think I have some things around death even. So I'm excited for this conversation because I think that I have some just like past life traumas around death that some of this energy of this year have been you know have been triggered around so all that to say yeah i'm just very tired i think we're all fatigued but from this year i'm really feeling it and um i am ready to kind of like shift some energy for myself so i think i'll talk a little bit more about it in the cosmic update but oh okay um, Yeah, I think I'm just, like, ready for, like, some change. I think I'm feeling a little stagnant.
1: You're tired of being stuck in the house with me for seven (laughs) months on end?
0: No, not exactly that. But I think I'm being, I'm tired of being stuck with me in the house for seven months. And I think I've just, like, really come to realize, like, oh, Angel, you just need to, like, shift some ways. And I found these old DVDs. I was just, like... Uh, They were just brought back into my life. They're like transfers of like old movies that I made back in college. So I just like watched like 21-year-old me like out living in the world. I think it was interesting to kind of revisit myself, you know, in this retrograde time and recognize some traits of myself that I miss, actually. Like what? I think just like I miss my like fearlessness I was so fearless back then it's so funny I always kind of thought of myself at that time as having less confidence but there was this like big window of time when I was in college where I got incredibly confident particularly in my creativity and just in like myself and it was nice to get to see that guy again Hmm. and remember like oh yeah like you have that in you Maybe I just need some rest right now so that I can come out and emerge in a more confident, energetic way. Uh, how are you?
1: Um, uh, Let's see. I mean, the truth is I've been kind of trying to avoid what's going on in the world. I've been reading a lot of fiction and then I just kind of got slapped across the face the reality of this moment in time. And it's a jarring one. And I am exploring what is the healthy balance between boundaries and not being a black hole of news, but also not being totally checked out. And it's a challenging dance for me because I tend towards extremism. So it's either like I'm obsessed with the state of the world, or I'm completely absorbed in an alternate world, whether that's reading books or just in kind of a deep spiritual practice that has me in sort of like a hermit mode. And so I guess I'm kind of venturing out into the world these days, feeling very soft and tender and wanting to engage, but also feeling a fair amount of anxiety and trepidation. I mean, not just around political stuff, but even just around virus stuff, just like feeling the spikes and... Wanting to stay safe and feeling like everyone is handling it in their own way and everyone's allowed to, but it just makes me feel unsafe in a lot of ways. And so I'm exploring how I can feel safe.
0: Right. Yeah. So, how, what are you, what tactics are you using? Well,
1: boundaries. Boundaries are very important. And I mean that more esoterically than I do psychologically, meaning just that it's really useful to spend some time visualizing what your boundary looks like, Mm -hmm. which to me is usually like an egg shaped golden orb of some kind and making sure that the boundary is intact and strong so that I don't take in things that I don't need, but I can take in that which would nourish me.
0: Does that, um, golden egg boundary also double as your troll planet spaceship?
1: Uh, Yeah, sometimes. Oh, okay. Yeah, totally. (laughs) It takes me where I need to go. (laughs) Yeah, I actually wanted to record a little boundary visualization meditation for the gazers. Oh,
0: yeah. I remember you mentioning that.
1: So I'm going to try to figure out where I can upload that maybe i could just put it on the website somewhere so people have access to it
0: oh that'd be nice because i
1: do think that at this moment in time it's really important to be in your boundaries so that you aren't taking on other people's shit but that you're also not like overly shielded and armored so that you can't take in the things that you need you know yeah like we're not supposed to be walking around in a bunker just a golden egg (laughs) So that's one tool. I think another tool is like just continuing to come back to the body. I was really inspired by the spirit talk with Kumbi Mm -hmm. a couple weeks ago and just coming back to the body and letting the body be a safe place. And I'm definitely not where I was in terms of like my flexibility or my yoga practice before I burned myself. So it's kind of nice in a way, actually, that I'm not back at square one, but that I have to move slowly and I can't just like throw myself into the practice that I used to do. Because it's forcing me just to move slow and to kind of feel the softness of the body.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's it, I guess. That's lovely. Well, good. And I agree. I mean, boundaries are so important for everyone right now. So I feel like even as you're out moving through the world, yeah, you can't do so in a bunker, but you can do so with a sense of protection.
1: Yeah. I think it's like, how do we leave the house feeling protected Mm -hmm. what are the things that we do yeah i even have like a little invocation i do usually it was just for like when i would travel like long distances but in in this day and age i use it even if i'm just like driving to the grocery store and i just say spirits of the road spirits of the air gather up my energy get me from here to there and i mean it right and it works Hasn't done us wrong yet. Haven't had any car accidents or (laughs) nobody's gotten COVID yet in this household. Hey, Lou. This feels like a very melancholy (laughs) check-in.
0: Well, Scorpio season.
1: I guess so. I guess we're in the the cancer decant of Scorpio, so we're feeling
0: more emo than usual. Should we sing an upbeat song really fast? You got that something, nothing else, and stop it. It's crazy. I'm falling. So do you believe in magic? Do you, do you, do you, do you believe in magic? Look, sometimes you have to be a little melancholy and it's okay. Well,
1: there's nothing wrong with feeling your feelings. I mean, we're certainly from the school of you got to feel it to heal it. So here we are for feeling it.
0: And look, it's Scorpio season. I feel like everyone's feeling it. Ooh, child. So
1: if you're not feeling it... Then you're just getting drunk all the time or running outside <laughs> in a slutty Halloween costume spreading the virus.
0: No, or you're doing well. Oh, yeah. And you Where shouldn't feel they? bad about it. <laughs> Wait, and what? You shouldn't feel bad about it. No, no. Who's doing well? Send There us are a people message. doing well. Who? I mean, I've done readings for people who are doing well, and I think the interesting conversation around it is like for them to not feel guilty about it.
1: That's really important. Actually. That they do
0: it like in this way and it's like, you know, I'm like you should feel well and don't hide that. Like no one should ever like attach shame to feeling good. And I think around times like this, you can. Well, we want to give you guys
1: a little astrological orientation if we can. So, this episode segment is one where we blast off into deep space. So, prepare yourself for this episode's Cosmic, Cosmic Update. Update! So, Mercury is direct. Mercury is direct. Not as of
0: this recording, but by the time it comes out, direct. Yes. We are projecting into the future when, yes, it will be direct. What a relief. Uh, yeah, it was definitely, uh, I think it was just kind of exacerbated by the Mars retrograde. For me, the Mars retrograde has been much more of...
1: She's not been fun.
0: A challenge, yeah. I feel like the Mercury retrograde has just like kind of kept people a little more either quiet or confused in their, con- in their communication. That resonates. Yeah, but... Um, or both. I've yeah, been, I've been quietly confused. <laughs> I mean, for me I think I I think people have maybe like what's been nice about it, I should say first, is that, you know, we started in Scorpio and then it tripped back into Libra, and I think it was interesting to see maybe the idea of people saying one thing in Scorpio and then thinking about it and then saying it differently, more kindly, or changing their mind in Libra. And I think that was like a lot of what this retrograde was trying to offer us was an opportunity to change our mind around certain things, you know, or to see things from a new perspective. But anyhow, you know, this Mars retrograde is going on till the 14th. We've been in it since September. We've had Mars in Aries through June, and we will have Mars in Aries through the rest of this year and into the beginning of January. So really, really interesting to see where you have Aries in your chart, what, you know, what part of your life Mars is moving through. Again, Mars, we did an episode on it not too long ago. but is that planet of action, you know, getting things done and in the sign of Aries, he's initiating and trying to begin new. New beginnings, uh, trying to forge new beginnings. And so, in whatever area he's in, he's trying to get that for you. So, know that we have until the 14th to prepare ourselves for that forward motion. It's not going to like shoot us out of a rocket necessarily, but I think once it does turn direct, we really are going to like feel the movement. Feel some momentum heading back. And even if you had some stuff going in the summertime, know that that stuff will come back around again. um, Or I should just say, uh, yeah, from June, July, August. Uh, But you can approach it with a new energy and in a new way. And I also think... It's important to really consider that this has been such a major year of growth and transformation. You know, we've had the big Capricorn trio, um, you know, having their little house party. And they really are starting to disperse now. We have Jupiter and Pluto kind of coming together for one last little dance. And they've had a couple this year, including one at the beginning of the year. So, this month is, I think, really on some level too, a chance for us to really look at the greater picture of this transformation that we've been going through this year and make sure that we are really allowing ourselves to release just anything that is just unnecessary for us to really build the next chapter of our lives, you know, and it's all foundation. So, what's really important? In the foundation of your life. And if it's not, then kiss that shit goodbye.
1: Yeah, I feel like we have to remember that 2020 came in to change us. So, who are you now? What changes have been made? And how are you going to really implement them moving forwards?
0: Yeah. And I think, well, how you said, you know, like, who are you now? Right. I actually think a lot of what's like fueling a lot of the like pain and frustration that people are feeling. And it's so well tied to our deep dive today is that people are experiencing a lot of grief around their lives Mm. and they don't know how to process it. They don't know how to feel it. And so they're desperately doing what they can to hold on to this vision of what they either thought things were going to be or of what they thought their lives were meant to be all along, you know, given what they've lived up to this point. And yeah, this year has been a, no, it's time to shift it. It can't be the same. And I really think it's important for for everyone to sit in the grief process of this year and that to some degree the life we had has ended We can build a new one and it can ultimately even have some semblance to the one we had. But I think, yeah, there there have been a lot of moments that we've been, you know, perhaps robbed of or feel, feel, feel as if we've been robbed of or all of these things. And that creates a lot of pain. And I think the more we can process that pain, move through it, release it and just try to stand in the present and move from there. Um, Then we welcome ourselves up to the bounty of opportunity that's present for us moving forward.
1: Yeah. And this is kind of a segue, but it's like death only takes from us what we no longer need. And even though we don't always understand it, even though we sometimes think we do need it, in the bigger picture, death only takes from us what we no longer need. So maybe you don't need this version of yourself anymore. Right. Maybe you don't need this dream anymore.
0: Yeah, that job.
1: And having been through many death processes in my life, I can tell you that on the other side, you go, wow, like what was waiting for me is so much better, richer, more aligned than anything I could have imagined. I'm so glad that I didn't stay stuck in that old, comfortable, whatever it was.
0: Right. All right. Well, before I think we just like start talking about it, should we just get into
1: it so you know get comfortable get relaxed let yourself slip into some silk pajamas boil yourself a cup of rose tea hopefully it's not boiling
0: (laughs) turn off the lights light some candles
1: and get ready for this episode's deep Dive. dive death is a really big topic. It's like having a podcast dedicated to life, right? Right. We're going to deep dive into life, everybody. Today we're
0: going to talk about breathing. So, <laughs>
1: you know, this is a little snack and it's just the opening into maybe a much larger conversation we can have, maybe more episodes dedicated to death. And I don't think we can have this conversation alone. And so I've brought in some poets and some writers to kind of help us hold space around reapproaching death. Because in our society, particularly like a Western patriarchal society, death is hidden, right? Like the old age homes, we put the old in them so that we don't have to be reminded that death can show up. We kind of glorify or romanticize death with our kind of like true life mystery, serial killer sort of shows, but we're not really like in Relationship with death as a part of life, death as a healer, which is really what I want to talk about here today to some degree, is that death is really part of the archetype of the healer and things heal through death all the time. The example I like to use is just like a rose bush or lavender. If you're a gardener, you know, like at the end of the season, you got to cut off all of those buds or else the whole bush dies. So, we heal things through death. We release things. And in doing so, we create space for new things to come through. We have been kind of hinting at like death in terms of like transformation or the death of dreams or the death of old identities. But really, today, in honor of Scorpio season, what we're talking about is like the death of your physical body. Like we're all going to die. And that's something that can inspire how we live. So, I'd like to begin actually by reading you something from Carlos Castaneda. And it's uh, a little excerpt from one of his books, The Journey to Itzlan, which I've probably just mispronounced. (laughs) So if you don't know, uh, Carlos Castaneda uh, apprenticed to a medicine man by the name of Don Juan. And so this is a conversation between them. So Carlos Castaneda starts by asking, what do you mean by my last dance, Don Juan? This is the site of your last stand, Don Juan said. You will die here no matter where you are. Every warrior has a place to die. A place of his predilection, which is soaked with unforgettable memories, where powerful events left their mark. A place where he has witnessed marvels, where secrets have been revealed to him. A place where he has stored his personal power. A warrior has the obligation to go back to that place of his predilection every time he taps power in order to store it there. He either goes there by means of walking or by means of dreaming. And finally, one day, when his time on earth is up, and he feels the tap of his death on his left shoulder, his spirit, which is always ready, flies to the place of his predilection, and there the warrior dances to his death. Every warrior has a specific form, a specific posture of power, which he develops throughout his life. It is a sort of dance, a movement that he does under the influence of his personal power. If a dying warrior has limited power, his dance is short. If his power is grandiose, his dance is magnificent. But regardless of whether his power is small or magnificent, death must stop to witness his last stand on earth. Death cannot overtake the warrior who is recounting the toil of his life for the last time until he has finished his dance. Does death really stop to see a warrior dance? A warrior is only a man, a humble man. He cannot change the designs of his death, but his impeccable spirit, which has stored power after stupendous hardships, can certainly hold his death for a moment. A moment long enough to let him rejoice for the last time in recalling his power. We may say that is a gesture which death has with those who have an impeccable spirit. And thus you will dance to your death here, on this hilltop, at the end of the day. And in your last dance you will tell of your struggle, of the battles you have won and of those you have lost. You will tell of your joys and bewilderment upon encountering personal power. Your dance will tell about the secrets and about the marvels you have stored, and your death will sit here and watch you. The dying sun will glow on you without burning as it has done today. The wind will be soft and mellow, and your hilltop will tremble. As you reach the end of your dance, you will look at the sun, for you will never see it again, in waking or in dreaming, and then your death will point to the south, to the vastness. I'm going to share one more quote from Carlos Castaneda here. Death is our eternal companion. It is always to our left an arm's length behind us. Death is the only wise advisor that a warrior has. Whenever he feels that everything is going wrong and he's about to be annihilated, he can turn to his death and ask if that is so. His death will tell him that he is wrong that nothing really matters outside its touch. His death will tell him, I haven't touched you yet. You see, to me, when I think about right relationship with death, it's about not living with fear of death. When we live in a way that's meaningful, knowing that our time is limited, death propels us. Death is like an engine for our life. Whereas if we live our life in fear of death, we stay small. And we never really do what we came here to do. And the image of death stopping and waiting to watch the dance in some ways is our whole lives. If we are living our life as a dance of power, then death stops and waits for us. You know, life is a gift. And there are so many forces that want to live our lives for us. Fear and anxiety, illness and disease, these are things that can easily live our lives. But death is this constant companion, this ally who will not take us before our time, but also may not let us linger too long afterwards, is here to make sure that we do what we came here to do, because if life were eternal, and the soul perhaps has eternal life, but if life on this planet were eternal, I think it would be meaningless. I think of the stories of the vampires who are immortal have lived for hundreds of thousands of years and how brutal an existence that is you see knowing that our life is going to have an end at some moment some day makes it all the sweeter so death heals us death comes in to heal what we can no longer love back to life right we can heal things through love we can tend to the wound We can bandage it, but sometimes the limb just has to be amputated or else the whole body rots. So that's kind of the larger context of death that we're going to be talking about here today, that death is not evil and death is not bad, but death is necessary. There were some questions that came in, kind of asking about death in different ways, and we'll talk a little bit about maybe spirits of the dead, so that we can soften ourselves to death and understand the power of death.
0: Uh, Well, I think it'd be good for us to just kind of talk about like, I don't know, some of what you read, which I think is so powerful. And I mean, yeah, death itself is a powerful subject. But, you know, specifically, you know, in reference to the fear of death, right? And that that can be on some level, like a motivator. (laughs) But um, it can also show up, right, as like something that paralyzes you and... I mean, I know for myself, like I've been thinking a lot about it because death and particularly like my own fear of death has been a thing that has kind of existed for myself ever since I was very young. Death was always um, really prevalent in my household as a child. There were a lot of people who passed away um, when I was very young, but also I grew up with a cop for a father who sort of made death, like, a topic of conversation on a daily basis. And the more I've been thinking about it, the more I've been thinking about just, like, in general, what has sort of, like, created society's fear of death. And, I mean, not to, like, demonize religion, (laughs) but I do think us living in, like, a very religious world that is i mean particularly kind of governed by like the christian religion that there is like this sense around the idea of needing to live without sin or else being deemed into a eternal afterlife of of hell right and terror
1: so that's created the fear around death i think so no i, I agree
0: yeah i think that because even if it's not your religion you're still steeped in a society that is built upon that, that is built upon this notion, this ideology, that you must do well, excel, be good, or else you're going to be damned forever. And I also think on some level, too, that like this idea of a very sort of, again, like, specific religious (laughs) um, idea of afterlife, Um, does on some level also allow people to excuse their bad behavior because they can just be mean, be bad, and then atone for it, and they'll be excused and still get a pass. So I think it becomes almost like this mental construct, right? Death, this, like, game of, like how am I going to be without actually really like allowing themselves to like feel it because fear is kind of guiding it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the other mental construct that I think death brings up for us is the mental construct of the ego. Mm -hmm. Right. And we are in a time where we are encouraged to really connect and grow our ego and our identity and our sense of individuality. And there's nothing wrong with that but when we're too attached to the identity and to the ego the fact that death will take that from us right and will merge us with the oneness to some degree can be really terrifying for people
0: but yeah so i think a lot of us inherit these things early on right from a young age so i think a lot of it has to do with like just how you're communicated totally to as a child i mean for myself just you know having that death around me having it be just like a topic of conversation, but Yeah, more well, I don't like, think
1: you mentioned that your dad was a homicide detective.
0: Yeah, well, he became that as I got a little older, um, but yeah, then it became even more of a direct uh, line of discussion. Um, but again, it wasn't like about, you know, the conversation wasn't about like our feelings around death, you know? It was just like about the statement of it, the facts of it, literally details of an autopsy. Like they were just like really intense things coupled then with this sort of religious ideology of be good or you'll go to hell. Um, So it was easy to kind of craft this like consistent fear of, oh God, any second now, like, yeah, my ego self could end and I have no idea where I'm going. I mean, we're also then layering on just specifically like the whole gay element of that, which already kind of, you know, deems you to like an existence in, you know, a bad part of the afterlife town. Right. Um Just so, like your
1: very authenticity dooms you to hell no matter what.
0: Exactly. So already like, you know, on some level, like, yeah, like, I think a lot of like queer kids grow up layering on a whole level of their shame based just off of their either subconscious or unconscious relationship with death. So I don't know entirely how you go about engaging in that conversation.
1: Well, you have to clear out the death file Mm -hmm. is the way it was kind of talked to me. When I got my first soul retrieval, a lot of it was around my misinterpretation of death and only having an acquaintance with like a grotesque horrific deformed version of death as opposed to like the true nature of death and i think each of us kind of have like a file on death and we need to go through there and we need to clear it out right and we need to clear out the drama and the superstition and the inherited beliefs that death is a monster or that death is unnatural Or that talking about death invites death, right? I think that's another fear too. It's like, we don't want to talk about death. We don't want death to show up. But it's like, no, like death is here all the time. And so the more we can understand that and not be afraid of it and partner with death, meaning like, you're going to die. So like, what is it important that you do before you die? And what are the things that maybe you can take with you when you die? We know what we can't take with us money, our looks, Academy Awards, you know, like we can't take Mm -hmm. these things with us, but we can take our soul with us. We can take healing with us. You know, we can take our relationships and our love with us. These are the things that go with us after we die.
0: When I think you also have to consider the element of pain too, that is associated with death. Some, you know, on a physical, yeah. Um, but also on an emotional level um, and not necessarily your own death, you know, like many are left in the wake of another person's death with, you know, a ton of emotional pain.
1: Yeah. Well, a question came in from the Gazer community about how do I trust the process of life better, including the pain of losing loved mm. ones? And they went on to say, they say, grief is the cost of love. I want to love fully without that fear of one-day grief. And the best way I think I've heard grief explained is that grief actually is your love. Like grief is kind of what you have when that person is gone. And that, that grief, even though it is beyond painful and so lonely, is also in some ways your connection to that person
0: right i also think too it becomes about evolving that relationship too right obviously like having the real tangible physical relationship with the loved one is the most ideal but when someone does pass and we're actually recording this on dia de los muertos which is a day all about like celebrating relationship with those who have passed yeah, And so it is then about how do you evolve that relationship um, and still learn to like honor it and celebrate it.
1: Well, there was another question that came in and that was, why is there so much fear surrounding death today as opposed to our ancestors? And I think it's because our ancestors were in relationship with their ancestors and they knew that death is death of the body and not death of the spirit. And that there are many ways we can still stay connected mm. to those that we love when they go beyond the veil. Mm -hmm. But we've forgotten that now because we live in a, you know, fairly pragmatic society. And we've lost some of these practices to connect back to our ancestors. Now, of course, you know, Dia de los Muertos or uh, other cultures have those practices. But for a lot of us, just like living in the Western technological world, we don't have those things. So we can start to open up to it. Right. In some of the work and training I did around working with um, the dead and the dying you know, there is this sense that like it's not too good for the dead to be around the living, and the living to be around the dead for prolonged periods of time, and that's why something like Dia de los Muertos, you know, there's a day or two, right, where the the spirits of the dead come back to the living and they engage. But there's a reason why these things are separate, and I think it's because they're separate things we're supposed to do when we're on other sides of the veil. But to know that you can reach out to those loved ones. And I know many people who have lost people who have them come to them in their dreams or who've done some work to engage and have had that experience. But I think where the dead linger around the living is where we get a lot of like the drama and the horror, you know, like the idea of like hungry ghosts or poltergeists or things, you know, these are spirits, um, human spirits that, maybe don't know that they're dead or don't know how to get where they're going. And so I really believe that there's no such thing as evil spirits. There are just spirits who are in a lot of pain. And that a poltergeist is really just somebody's spirit trying to get your attention. And a lot of times, if there was a lot of trauma or shock to the death, the spirit might not even know that they're dead. Other reasons why spirits might hang around is because they're waiting for something to happen, like for a child to graduate or to make sure a certain community is going to be all right, you know? And so some of the work that Psychopomp touches on, and that's literally like shepherding the dead to, you know, their final destination is about helping people to reconcile their life. Because if you die and your life is unreconciled, things are a lot messier. But if you live with an awareness of death, when you die, hopefully your life is reconciled. The question is kind of like, is today a good day to die? Like if you were to die today, what would your unfinished business be? And the less unfinished business you have, the more quickly you can kind of get where you're going and the more quickly you can come back when your descendants reach for you. There was a question that came in, um, somebody recently lost their uncle and wanted to help them and wasn't sure how, Uh, also thought maybe this was above their pay grade and was just kind of asking about how do we connect with loved ones and how do we get permission to do it and, and things of that nature. So... Again, I'm not an expert here, but in my experience and in my training, generally we want to wait a couple of years before we reach out to somebody who's passed. Because I think we as human beings, we experience time in a very different way than those who are in the spirit realm do. So usually it's about like five years. You kind of want to wait five years before you reach out to somebody who's passed just because they're going through their own process and you don't want to get in the way of that. That having been said, if you know of somebody who died in a way that was traumatic or really brutal, you would probably want to hire somebody who does this for a living to reach out and see if that spirit needs help getting where they need to go. And the simplest way any of us can connect with the dead is to get into meditation and to open ourselves up to whoever it is that we're trying to connect with. That having been said, you know, death doesn't necessarily change a person. And I think we've said this on the program before, but like if you didn't want to hang out with your uncle when he was alive, then just because he's dead, like doesn't change him. Like if he was creepy and, you know, kind of invaded your boundaries when he was alive, he could still be doing the same when he's dead. And so you want to have some protection around it. And you want to make sure not just to, like, reach out to, like, any old dead person. And that's really, I think, where, like, the ancestors with a capital A come in, which means that first start by connecting with, like, the long dead, who are healed and resolved and can kind of help you and can even serve as, like, an ambassador between you and any other ghosty folks.
0: So you would wait five years to really, like, engage with them, but... um Let's say you've had someone like pass in the last year and you have felt like their presence or just wanted to connect with them. Would you say it was inappropriate to be trying to like engage them even just in like conversation? Look,
1: at the end of the day, if it feels good in your heart, do it. And if it doesn't feel good in your heart, don't do it. But I think um, we have to give the dead some time and space to move on their own journey. And we have to make sure that our attachment to them isn't masquerading as wanting to help them. And so that's the only reason I think that that's spoken about is just let them have their own journey. But of course, if you feel like they need help, if you feel in your heart that it's important to reach out to them, but then by all means do so, of course. I wouldn't want to get in the way of anybody doing that.
0: And that could simply be just like, hi, I'm just here. What do you need? For you, yeah.
1: Yeah, how can I help you? Holding space for you. I mean, a lot of traditions have really kind of specific protocols around how we tend to the dead, especially when they die. Because our tending, our thoughts, our prayers are kind of what help propel them to those higher realms, to the land of the dead. Whereas if there aren't a lot of people doing that, they can get kind of stuck here. And when they're stuck here, they really can't do much except be in pain. As far as permission is concerned, you only need permission from from the dead person, you know? So if they're willing to talk to you and engage with you, you're fine. Right. And some people might find that they are more open and more of kind of like a target for spirits than others. And again, you just like want to be aware that, um, you know, spirits, if they're stuck here, they, they don't have access to energy, you know. So they might be trying to get energy off of you, which is where you want boundaries. And again, it's not because they're evil. It's because they're in the wrong place because they're still here. They're still on the earth plane and they should be somewhere else. Right. And that just comes from a legacy, contemporary legacy of just like not tending the dead well. And if we could all learn how to tend the dead, and also if we could just like die well, then there'd be a lot less of this. But you can tell, just like places, America in general. But, you know, places where like just a lot of like shady dealings have gone on is where there's a lot of unresolved dead hanging out. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, if a lot of what we're experiencing right now is just kind of like partially a symptom of all the unresolved dead i mean 300 years of slavery and oppression and patriarchal society and there's just this kind of undercurrent of sludge that needs to be resolved and addressed before we can move forwards yeah and i think we imagine that something transforms the core of who we are um, when we die but i think we still are who we are
0: oh you do yeah
1: what, you think you become a troll
0: person? <laughs> when we die? Yeah. Honestly, I I guess I see it more as like an energetic thing, to be honest. Like I do believe that some people linger in like spirit or ghost form, but I've always just kind of visioned like the soul as dissipating into energy that goes back to feed the birth of other forms.
1: Yeah, maybe. I mean, who can say, right?
0: Yeah. I I have a hard time like connecting death with like a personality. Um, but I but I do think that there are some who yeah, like will linger.
1: Well, I think that's those who are maybe too attached to that personality, right?
0: right? And that I think you can call on others and that some presence of their energy can come around and connect with you.
1: In some Jewish mystical practices, and I've talked about this on the show before, I think, the soul is a composite, right? It's not one thing, but many. And so there's the soul of the body, which returns to the earth at the time of death, because the soul of the body is really just an extension of the earth and the body's just borrowed. So you bury the body and the soul goes back into the earth. It reconnects to that kind of source. And then there's the other part of the soul, the neshama, which is connected to like the source of all things. You're spark of divinity, which kind of returns to that kind of cosmic soup that you were talking about. But then there's another part of of the soul, which is really the spirit, which is kind of connected to your personality and your identity and your uniqueness. And maybe it's that part of the soul that reincarnates, you know, that says like, mm. hey, I'm going to come back again. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a good working theory. I think we get caught up in assuming the soul is one thing, but nothing is any one thing. I mean, even our bodies are these millions of cells, you know, it's. It's uh, foolish to assume that we're just one thing.
0: Yeah, I agree with that.
1: There was a question that came in about how to comprehend the significance of being told, this is the last incarnation. So I think what that means is somebody was told by somebody like, this is your last time here. And I would just question that. (laughs) You know, like who can can say that with any surety, right? Who knows? I was
0: told that by a Vedic astrologer. Oh,
1: were you really? I was. So what does that mean to you? What was that significance that this was your last go around?
0: I mean, it was the significance to me was just that it was like sort of my soul's last journey through human school. And what did
1: that mean for you? How has that informed your life?
0: Well, I don't know if it's fully informed my life, (laughs) Um, but at the time I took it as, oh, wow, this lifetime is really going to be an opportunity to move through a lot of my karma and also fully actualize the human experience that I have been working to have throughout many lifetimes, which sounds like a lot of work, <laughs> but- uh, You're up for it. Also, yeah, I did find it interesting, but yeah, I don't know, what is, uh, so what do you say about that?
1: I would say live every life as if it's your last lifetime on earth. Get what you came here for. Mm-hmm. And get what you came here for, not meaning like cash and prizes, meaning like get what your soul came here for. Whether it's the love, the healing, the learning, the legacy, whatever it is, get what your soul came here for. There were a couple of questions about astrology and using astrology uh, in terms of understanding death. Or also like, would you ever look at a death chart? Like we look at birth charts, but do you ever pull a death chart for a reason? What's your take on that?
0: Uh, I don't work with it. I know that there are... Full schools of how to interpret death in a chart. I, being a very anxious person, um, did kind of spiral into that realm of study when I was first learning astrology. And I literally then started to try and like predict my own death on a like weekly basis. And it just became a little overwhelming. (laughs) And uh, I'm still here. And this was. 18 19 years ago
1: yeah I mean predicting death is I think a suspect practice because you should be more concerned with living than dying
0: yeah but That's there my are two cents. yeah and you know but there are books about it there are certain aspects and things that people look to uh, but yeah I think to Brandon's point like I'm much more interested in trying to motivate people toward how to move through their life but I do think it's fascinating and you can really like dive into it particularly you know through like looking at people's death charts as compared to their birth charts and see what transits were happening and things of that nature
1: I have three poems that I really want to share because I think poetry does a really good job of speaking (laughs) to this yeah three they're short they're poems (laughs) this one is by Rainer Maria Rilke he says For we are only the rind and the leaf. The great death that each of us carries inside is the fruit. Everything enfolds it. This idea that our death is actually our ripening. Yeah. And that everything before that is just the process of of becoming ripe. I think that's so beautiful. This is a poem I wrote. The only way to live is to die. We run around terrified that death will scoop us up before our time. Honey, it is always our time. Each day is a good day to die. To bury your old dreams in the sweet sour dirt. To shed your old skins and maybe even a layer of muscle. Maybe even a layer of bone. Death is no monster. She is a mother of what's to come. Death the robust. Death the genuine. Death the blade and death the balm. Death the storm and the song. Death the destroyer of all that has gone before. Let yourself die. Allow it like a lover's kiss. And I promise you your real life will begin. And this last poem by Mary Oliver, it's titled The Fourth Sign of the Zodiac, which we know is cancer, which I also think is specific to Mary Oliver having lost someone to cancer, not the astrological sign, but... Late yesterday afternoon in the heat, all the fragile blue flowers in bloom in the shrubs in the yard next door had tumbled from the shrubs and lay wrinkled and fading in the grass. But this morning the shrubs were full of the blue flowers again. There wasn't a single one on the grass. How, I wondered, did they roll or crawl back to the shrubs and then back up to the branches? That fiercely wanting, as we all do, just a little more of life. Let death inspire you to live. And know that death will be there to watch your dance. To watch you dance the life, the legacy that you've lived. And hopefully it'll be a magnificent dance. <laughs> and if you check in with death along the way, maybe not every day unless you're a Scorpio, but you know, every week or every month, you just kind of go, okay, how am I doing? You know? And to ask death, like, is it is this serious or, you know... Is this just me right? worrying about things that don't matter? You know, death really puts things in perspective, which I think we could all benefit from right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and important to be having that conversation with yourself on it. And also, yeah, to be having that conversation with others in your life. Um, you know, especially those of us who are engaged with people who either are heading toward the end of their life or you know, have had some experiences with death um, to even just like reach out to them and ask them about it because they may not have had anyone ask them about it and they may not have had an opportunity to express their feelings, their fears around it. So if you can be that willing ear for them that willing participant in it in the process then that could be like a very just like beautiful experience for you both all right well there's so much we could talk about with this topic hopefully that was a good just beginning (laughs) on our end for it and thank you to everyone who sent in questions
1: and don't be afraid to send in more we can always do a death part two So let's just pull a card for the episode here. So take a moment, take a nice deep breath, just kind of shake off whatever this episode might've stirred up for you. Connect to the cards by listening to the sound of them being shuffled. Just asking for one card that we need for this moment of our lives together trusting that the message will resonate no matter the future place or time to which you listen to this episode. And the card is the Nine of Cups, which I actually think is a really beautiful card to fold into our conversation that we've just had. Because the Nine of Cups is really about self-fulfillment at all costs like doing what the heart really wants and not being afraid to do it alone. It's alone but not lonely. And the traditional tarot readers called the Nine of Cups the wish card because they were like, make a wish, it'll come true. And maybe, I'm not going to say no to that, but what I think is even more profound is that the Nine of Cups reminds us that we are a wish, that our souls wished to be here, that the universe wished us into existence, and what is the unique wish that you are? And how can you make yourself come true to some degree? So as you move through these next days or weeks until you pull another card, really consider what would fulfill you. Really get clear for yourself, what do I want? What thrills me? What makes me feel valuable and meaningful? And to pursue that, cups are the heart suit. So it's about really satisfying and fulfilling the desires of your heart. I always kind of talk about this card, like as long as you laugh at your own jokes, like who cares what anybody else thinks about your sense of humor. And that's important about not just your sense of humor, but everything else that you put your, you put your heart in as long as it's meaningful to you, then that's all that matters. So let that carry you forwards.
0: I love that. I'm inspired to make the wish of me come true. What is that wish? The wish of me? Yeah. Yeah to merge all of the various aspects of my identity into one glorious presentation for the world to see. I
1: love that. I want to be there at that presentation.
0: (laughs) You'll be the one working the PowerPoint.
1: Oh, okay. Well, there you go. All right, Gazers. Thanks for tuning in. Continue to be gentle with yourself. Rest, restore, set good, gorgeous, glorious boundaries.
0: Yes, we love and adore you all and you can always find out any uh, info and stuff we have going on at our website thespiritualgaze.com on Instagram at thespiritualgaze Facebook spiritualgaze Twitter spiritualgaze uh, you can sign up for our newsletter through our website and find out about our breathwork healing circles that are coming up our astro club uh we'll have an astro club session coming up and when this comes out in a couple weeks until next
1: time this has been your transit through the, the spiritual game